Well, can I just say welcome to worship tonight and welcome to all of you who are watching online. I just got to tell you, those two stories of those gals that we showed earlier in the service, I can't tell you what that epitome, that is the greatest example of what God is doing through and with this church that I have seen in quite some time. It is the epitome of what makes this church special. And I know that they represent a lot of your background as well, watching online and here this evening. And so uh, I'm excited uh, about their going all in, and it's going to be a great, great experience this Sunday. Well, as you can see, things have changed a little bit up here. I have gone from a rapper to a card dealer now. What has this church got me into? That's all I'm saying. Oh, man, I guess if I lose my job as a preacher, I can be a dealer over at the casino. I, I do not know what has happened to this church. But this is all about our part about talking about high stakes. So welcome to High Stakes Christianity. And we want to challenge you not to gamble on what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Because with this Jesus stuff, this Bible stuff, this church stuff, the stakes are sky high to get it right. I'm here to tell you tonight, it's a matter of life and death. It's high stakes. So I invite you to take a seat. I'm just going to take a seat here at the table and uh, kind of talk a little bit with you and maybe stand and roam around a little bit. I, I just want to invite you to a seat at the table here as we kind of deal out the word for the next four weeks. And we're going to jump into this little tiny book of Jude, J book of Jude. Any of y'all ever read or heard of the book of Jude? We were in Jonah, that's four chapters. Guess how many chapters Jude has? One chapter. It's odd, just like 25 verses. And there may not be a clearer description of the real true nature and problems of the 21st century American church than this little and often overlooked book of Jude. It's all the way at the end of the New Testament, right before Revelation, and though short in length, again, just 25 verses, it looms large in bold truth for an inauthentic world. There is a lot of deception in religion. That's why we talk a lot about the difference between religion and relationship. So we live in a world, tip of the cap to President Trump now, we live in a world of what some people would say is fake news. I'm here to tell you, it's not just fake news. There are fake Christians and there are fake churches. There are people who are members of the institutional church, but their hearts are not redeemed. They're not converted. They haven't got all in with Jesus. And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to invite you to pretty much double down on the challenge of following a high-stakes God with a high-stakes authentic faith. And Jude, this little tiny book of Jude, is a book about fakeness and getting back or going back to live in faith. The older I get, and I'm not as young as I used to be, I'm not as old as, I, as some in our church, but the older I get, the more I realize that the truth is a very precious commodity in our world. It really is. Everyone has an opinion about what truth is. It, they're living by their truth, but all the truths cannot be equally true and right. Although God's people sometimes forget the importance of truth, I'm here to tell you, Satan never does. And one of Satan's major works is to distract, 
to destroy, to hide, to twist the truth, and replace it with falsehood and deception. I've been following all these different ways that falsehood and deception and false teaching has kind of crept into uh, what we would consider mainstream Christianity. This headline caught my eye from a recent uh, uh, news uh, uh, article. It said, the U.S. witch population has seen an astronomical rise. This is not just one thing. I'm not just picking on the witches now. I know Halloween's coming up. I'm not talking about Sleeping Beauty and all. I'm talking about, listen to what it says. Spirituality is now firmly placed in mainstream culture. That's a good thing. But the growing interest in astrology, new age spirituality, as well as the popularity of crystals and tarot cards via the ballooning wellness industry have brought mysticism from the fringes right into our Instagram feed. In fact, companies are getting in trouble as they delve into this. The cosmetics giant Sephora recently found out that mysticism and its more formal manifestation, witch culture, are not topics to be taken lightly. The church shouldn't take it lightly. Businesses have learned. When Sephora tried to uh, uh, kind of condense and commodify witch-related practices into what they called a starter witch kit, that they're out there, they managed to tick off a bunch of actual witches forcing the kit's manufacturer to apologize and pull the product. Nobody knows today, really. No one knows, the article said, the exact number of witches, but it's clear that witches and witchery among us is growing, and the current trajectory suggests that this population will continue to grow. A couple of years ago, as is just so classic of our church, we had a gal come and share with one of our staff that she was ready to go all in and be baptized, just like those two gals will this weekend. And I said, well, that's great. I, I was following the story. And, and what they further shared with me is that this girl in our church who had been coming was actually a practicing Wiccan. Her, her mother was actually head of the coven here in town. And they said, this girl wants to be baptized. And I said, I'm doing that one. I don't do all the baptism, but I was doing that one. I think the staff were afraid. They thought the water might boil or something. Or so. I said, I'm, I'm so in. I'm going all in. And so I did that wonderful, great young gal. And I'm so, I was so proud of her because she was trying to figure out the Jesus stuff and the Wiccan stuff and the false and the true. And I baptized her. And when I brought her up out of the water, I made this statement you are no longer a Wiccan, you're a witness for God. Oh man, our, our, our audience just applauded because they saw this life change and that's who she was. But unfortunately, a lot of us watching online or in our church think you can follow Jesus and everything else that you wanna follow and all roads lead to the same place. See, there is a truth out there, that's what I'm saying, and in some cases, and Wiccan might be an example, there's just enough truth in things like that to sound good, but eventually it will divert you way off course. And before you know it, that little slip of falsehood, suddenly you wind up over here. It's just like one degree off at the beginning, but then year after year, one degree off on a map puts you way over here in just a matter of time. And then you don't realize it, you're deceived. 
See, there's a scripture in 2 Timothy that I have been reflecting on in my life. And I, when I was young preacher getting trained on ministry, I remember our homiletics professor saying, this is going to happen, David, in your lifetime when you get older. And I said, I don't believe that. That's just never going to happen. I'm telling you, what I'm going to read to you is happening right now, right here, right in our culture for everybody like me who preaches the truth. Here's what Timothy said. He predicted it thousands of years ago. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he writes, who will judge the living and the dead. So like, it's a God thing, it's a Jesus thing, it's a, it's a judge thing. They are the people who are the bosses. They, they are the people who get to decide what's right and wrong and what's true in light of them the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Jesus is going to appear again. His kingdom's going to come. He's going to come back as a judge. In view of all that, Timothy and Paul say this, I give you this charge. This is my job description. I got a lot of different jobs I do here in in this church. You would be shocked about some of the things that I do. But I love serving in whatever, but my primary duty, and if I ever forget this charge, we're in a bunch of trouble here. Whoever someday replaces me as the senior minister of this church, and someday that will happen. All senior ministers are just temporary interim preachers. Someday I'm going to go to heaven or heaven's going to come to me or something's going to happen. I'm going to get sick of Cincinnati winters and I'm going to say, I got to go south. Something's going to happen. Whoever is the preacher, whoever, whenever I preach, I'm reminded of this charge. Here it is. Preach the word. This. Preach this. Not David's opinion of this. Preach this. Be prepared, David, in, or whoever's teaching on this stage, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Isn't that fun? Rebuke. Oh, I can't wait to do that. Encourage, I kind of like that better. With great patience and careful instruction. For, and here was the prediction, I didn't believe. I didn't believe what happened. I believe it now. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine or the truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from what? The truth and turn aside to myths. I am proposing to you right now that these words of Timothy, these words of Paul, have come to pass right now in churches across America. Preachers don't preach. They're afraid to offend. The offerings might go down. The attendance might go down. Oh, you're judging, when in actuality, you're just preaching the truth. One of the things that we hear from people consistently here is they appreciate our commitment to the Bible and speaking the truth in love. Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. We're trying to live in the tension of both. So let me just say a word to you here, especially those of you who are watching online or here in the building tonight who are younger or even millennials. I've said this before. You are watching a generation of 
Christians and preachers set the truth of God and the Bible aside in order to be more relevant, non-judgmental, and stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. And this is one of the cleverest tools of the evil one in our generation that he's dealing to you, to sacrifice the truth for love. And so I want to give you a little background tonight of this wonderful little book of Jude, the author, and why I want you to pay attention to it the next four weeks and why I want you to read it multiple times and why it's so important because the stakes are sky high. Our culture is dealing you a lot of truth. How do you know what the real truth is? Well, verse one tells us, and I'm just gonna cover two verses tonight. You say, David, can you talk for 25 or 30 minutes on two verses? Oh, I could talk like hours on these two verses, but I won't. Anyway, verse one tells us who wrote the book. And I'm gonna give you a, a guess. The title of the book is Jude. Guess who wrote the book? Jude, oh, such a smart audience here, all right? Jude, most scholars identify him as the half-brother of Jesus, that Jude, mentioned in Mark 6. Let me show you this interesting verse. In my research, I, I really didn't notice it until I started researching here. Mark chapter 6, verse number 2, uh, and this, this is really so cool. Uh, as Jesus is like, uh, they're describing here what happens. And when it says, when the Sabbath came here, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed, it says. Where did this man get his teaching, get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to Jesus? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Here's how they're describing Jesus now. Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, we'll talk about James in a minute, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. That's so, somewhat true. And he could not do any miracles there. What a tragedy except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I thought that was still pretty good. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So the Sabbath day comes, Jesus is teaching. They were amazed. Where did this guy come from? How did he get all this wisdom, all of this truth, all of this power? Isn't this the carpenter? And notice they say Jesus had brothers and sisters. He did. That's important. Some of us were raised not to believe that. Isn't this Mary's son? And notice they list his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Now here's what's interesting. The author's name of this book, Jude, in Greek is the name Judas. It's translated Jude in some versions. And guess why I think he went by Jude and not Judas when he wrote this? Would you want to be called Judas? Have any of you named your kids Judas? I didn't think so. That's why. This is way off of the dealing table here. Now, I heard about this couple who had a new baby, and they hadn't named it yet. And as soon as the baby was born, they 
Still hadn't named it. So they said to the doctor who delivered the baby, what do you think we should name this baby? And the doctor said, Theophilus. And the couple said, Theophilus, why? He said, because that's Theophilus-looking baby I have ever seen. Oh, oh, that's bad. I know. I may not use that Sunday. But anyway, you know now why he went by Jude. And like of his other siblings, this is rich now, don't miss this. Like some of his other siblings, Jude did not place his faith in Jesus while the Lord was still alive. He was a skeptic. He was a scoffer. It was only until after the crucifixion and the resurrection did the scales fall from Jude's eyes and he became a follower of Jesus just like his half-brother. This is another reason I believe the story of Jesus. Because his family doubted him. They thought he was crazy. But when your own family that you grow up with watches you and you claim to be sent from God and then you see him resurrected and then you start telling people this is what really happened, you know it's not fake. Those who grow up with you, they know whether you're real or legit or whether you're false or faking it. So Jude or Judas probably wrote this letter Sometime between 67 and 80 AD, there's a lot of external evidence for the existence, the authenticity of Jude. For all of us who are a little skeptical, I get that. There are records as early as the late second century where different groups, different historians, different philosophers referenced Jude. So it's a legit letter from a legit person. Notice also Jude is described, this author, as not only Jude, he's a servant of Jesus. Did you catch that? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. The word for servant here is doulos, which we get bond servant or slave from. So here's a little question. Some of you who know us well, you not know where I'm going. Are you a servant, a doulos, a slave, to Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. And if you're not serving here, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, you can sit for a while and check it out, but eventually you got to get in the game. And there are so many ways to serve here, so many ways uh, to serve inside and outside the wonderful walls of this church. So if you go on our website and you find your fit tab, look for find your fit tab. I'm praying this is the last quarter of this year. The stakes are high, so high, that you begin to serve if you're not serving, because you're the one who'll be blessed the most. God wants something for you, not from you. I'm praying in this last quarter of the year that uh, the 30 or 40% of our church that's not serving anywhere will get involved and become, like Jude, a servant of Jesus. He's also known here in this verse as a, says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. Now, I read James' name earlier. Jude identifies himself with James. James, in their day, would have been well-known. He was the head of the Jerusalem church. He's the author of the Epistle of James, another nice little book that starts with J, like Jonah, a, a few chapters uh, earlier, a few books earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 offers this fascinating piece of information about the Lord's brothers. It says the Lord's brothers and their wives took missionary journeys. I, 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 it's fascinating to me. Once these guys decided that Jesus was the Christ, their own family, their own kin, they took off worldwide 
on trips. That's why our go trips are so important that Jess and all of us talk with. Those are on our website. Get out of your comfort zone. Go on a trip. If, if you want to go on a real trip, a pilgrimage, to see where Jesus walked, and some of these guys did, uh, we've got some new brochures. I'm going to take Donna and I, my wife, going to take a trip to the Holy Land next summer. Uh, you get one of these at Info Desk, and we've got some info meetings next Sunday after the services. Uh, this is like a pilgrimage. If you have never been to Holy Land, man, it changed my life. All this stuff I'm preaching about, I've actually seen. Well. Maybe you are going to be prompted to go on your own journey, your own pilgrimage, your own mission trip. It will change your life. That's what these people did in Jesus' day once they got the good news. So, first part of verse 1, who is the guy that wrote this book? He's Jude, he's a servant of Jesus Christ, and he's a brother of James. Now, why is this book, Jude, so important? Hey Jude, I was thinking about even singing that, Hey Jude. Why did you write this book? Because falsehood can so easily, imperceptibly worm its way into a person or into a church and destroy it. So false teaching, false thinking has to be condemned and removed. And Jude, because he's so pithy in his his chapter, just very short. He wastes no time, no space dancing around the issue. Some of the hardest truth you will hear in the Bible is in the little book of Jude, and you're going to hear it from this stage in coming days. He exposed the false teachers that had kind of infiltrated the Christian community, and he wanted to encourage Christians to stand firm in the faith and fight for the truth because the stakes are sky high. Somebody says, well, David, I get that that guy wrote the book. Sounds like it's important. Why is this important to me? See, this letter is not written just to them. It's written to us. This message is for those who are following a high-stakes God. And notice the next part of verse 1. See, I'm still in verse 1. I ain't even got out of verse 1 yet. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Notice the second part here of Jude. To those who have been called, this is who he's writing to in his day and our day. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for or in Jesus Christ. Three little words he uses. This is why it's important to you. This letter, this book, this church is for those who are called. What does that mean? It's not just like invited. The word literally means you've been chosen. You've been selected by God. (laughs) Kind of like dancing with the stars, you know? You you have been, they call in, they choose you, you get to go forward. Haven't you noticed that everybody likes to be chosen? I don't know about you, don't don't you like to be picked? Man, 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 when I was growing up on the playground at recess, and guys, I don't know if it's a way for girls, but guys, they would just like to say, we're going to divide up into teams, kickball, football, baseball, whatever, and you start picking people. And the most humiliating thing is to be last when picked, is it not? In fact, it gets even more humiliating and embarrassing because sometimes by the end they say, we don't want him. I know he's last, but we don't want him on our team either. How horrible kids can be. How horrible adults can be. Maybe that's the hand that you've been dealt a humiliation. I got good news for you. You have been called by God to do something. What is it that you've been called to do? We just finished a series on Jonah. God called him to do something. He said, no, surely by now (laughs) you'll say yes. 
when he calls, lest the whale and the storm come your way. Every person in this room tonight, every person this Sunday who gathers, every person watching online has been called by God to do something. What is it? It's just for you. Number two, now you've been called, you've been loved. Some of us have been dealt a terrible hand because we've been not loved, misloved, betrayed, abused. God loves you. And this is a deep kind of love. This is a, this is a, I think I'd have put this. This is the kind of love that you cannot run away from. This is agape love, sacrificial love. This is not the kind of love that ebbs and flows and goes away based on what, what you've done. He loves you for who you are regardless of what you've done, regardless of your reputation. This is not like fickle love, like my love for the Cincinnati Bengals. God help me. Or the Reds. Or FC Cincinnati. Any sports team in Cincinnati, by the way. That my, my, my love is, you know, it rises and falls. It's fickle. This is not that kind of love. So we are called. We are loved. And then he says here, we are kept for Jesus Christ. What's that mean? That means Jesus, because of his love and his power, exercises that power on our behalf to protect us and to preserve us. All of us here, all of you watching online, are going to go through many temptations and trials with Satan and his minions, but God promises, this is so cool, God promises to watch over every one of us at every moment, keeping us safe. I think one of the things you'll discover when you get to heaven is all the things God did for you that you took for granted on earth. I know stuff happens still, but there's a, a lot that could have happened to you that didn't happen. Why? Because God kept you. He not only called you, he loved you, he kept you safe. Now, this doesn't mean that you can just kind of sit back and say, God, keep me. I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to work for my salvation. This is what later uh, one of the authors says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is given us as a gift, but you gotta, you gotta work on it. In fact, Jude comes, beautifully comes back to this role. We'll hit this again at the end of this book, but look at verse number 20. Uh, this is the keeping aspect. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. See, we have a role to keep. He is keeps us when we keep ourselves. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And to him, verse 24, we keep ourselves, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God's able to give you the strength you need to keep you from stumbling and messing up in your life and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He is able to keep you it, because of his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's the keeping. So we are called, we are loved, and we are kept. This, friend, is who we are in Jesus Christ. This is the truth. Now, I'm going to meddle a little bit. I'm, I'm probably going to get in some trouble with it. But I might as well get it out of the way now because it's going to be a whole month of this. Somebody say, David. Man, you're going to run people off. Well, I don't know. I think people are attracted by someone who speaks the truth. People are thirsty. They're hungry 
They're dying for somebody to tell them the truth. In love, but the truth. So there's a ton of talk. Here's the buzzword these days in our culture, identity. I identify as this. I identify as that. Okay. You know who your true identity is? You're called, you're loved, and you're kept. You are a child of God first. And all the other identities that you may decide you are are subservient. They fall under who Jesus says you are. This is good news. You're a child of God. You're forgiven. You're loved. You get second chance. All the stuff God says you are. Do not identify yourself by who you think you are. Identify yourself by who God says you are. Don't identify yourself by who the world says you are. They're going to tell you all kind of messed up falsehood. Lies. Identify by who Jesus says you are. And then Jude ends the part that I'm going to end with, the second verse. See, I'm just now to verse number two. That's just the first verse. Let me read you the last little verse, verse two. He ends with three things that are ours because we're called, loved, and kept. They're found here in verse two. He says, we have, because we've been called and we've been loved and we've been kept, we have mercy, peace, and love are ours, be yours in abundance. This is so cool, the little Jude. Hey, Jude. He's like smitten with threes. Did you notice that in this verse? Jude, he's a servant, he's a brother. I've been called, I've been loved, I've been kept. Now it's mercy, peace, and love. He's like into the Trinity. Mercy is undeserved favor. Peace is the peace of God, the peace with God. Love is what everybody on this planet is striving for. So here's what I'm asking you to do next. These are the first two two verses of this one chapter book. This is the high stakes I'm talking about. This is the introduction. Here's what I want you to do next if you want to maximize what you get out out of this series. And it has nothing to do with cards like this anyway. Number one, I'm challenging you to read this little book multiple times over the next month. Friend, there's only 25 verses in this book. Surely you can read this book. In fact, I encourage you to read it once a day. Go through it for 30 times. You will have all kinds of learning from it. Number two, I encourage you to read it with someone else and discuss it as you go. One of the goals we have as a church is for you to read this with other people. Maybe it's your friend. We got a whole small group curriculum that goes with this. Uh, So text the word Jude to the number on the screen here, 513-466-1424. Text you to that, and it will send you to the website that has all these resources so you can fully engage you and a friend in this series. And then I'm asking you to ask some questions about Jude that you have as you read it. When you read this book, I'm just telling you right now, you're going to read some people. You say, who in the world is that? What's up with the devil arguing with the Michael Archangel about the body of Moses. Who is Enoch? Who are all these people? Who is Cain? Who is Balaam? Who is Korah? Oh my gosh. You're getting ready to go into a whole Bible study. It's like a whole seminary for you. You're going to have questions. I'm going to take a risk. 
I'm going to have you email me those questions. You can, I'm going to try to address them in my direct from David, but ask them in your small group, email them to me. Questions are your friend. I'm asking you to ask some questions. And then the last thing I'm asking you to do is invite someone to a service next week with this invite card, the high stakes invite card. And we got a bunch as you leave in the doors. Get away from these cards, okay? Start using this card. Get away from the casino. I'm pretty sure that's not helping you. Get serious about doing this because the stakes are high. That friend that you invite, you just heard one of the videos, they first came because of Easter. Someone will, I'm claiming that someone will be in heaven because of your invite, this card, and this series. And if you've got a friend that is tired of the fake news, tired of fake church, tired of the same old, same old religion, this is the series. This is the church. This is the moment when I think you can pull a trigger. We won't embarrass you. We're going to have some fun. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. I got a buddy, John, who's coming in next weekend. And in conjunction with our dude day, which if you still haven't signed up, do that. It's going to be a great series. Tyler McKenzie's coming back to do one of them. This is going to be a great high stakes sermon series. I'm just asking you to lean into the invitational process. Invest in somebody, invite them to come, and you'll be shocked at what God may do in their life. So that's what I'm dealing tonight. That's what I'm gambling on. I'm counting on you, and I'm gambling on God to come through. So I'll have you stand for just a second. I'm going to pray and then read. One of our new staff guys is going to come up and close us out. Father in heaven, thank you for this little book, which has huge, huge ramifications. And so I just come now, God, as just one of your servants here, one of your communicators, asking you to, Holy Spirit, to be fully present as we teach, as we lead, as we share our hearts, as we share your heart through this little-known man named Jude, Judas, who didn't want to be a betrayer. He wanted to be known as a guy who spoke the truth. And so, God, may we continue to do that. And I thank you for each person here, each person watching online, and may we, Father, get the maximum benefit from this little book so that, Father, the stakes are so high for us to get it right. We want to. So we invite you here, and thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word NEW to the number on the screen or PRAY to the number on the screen, and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.